You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. Children with special needs, especially with autism, can find navigating the social world difficult and challenging. Even for neurotypicals, do you remember how difficult middle school and high school was sometimes, trying to be the popular person? There are so many rules for social interaction, and they constantly evolve depending on who's in the room and as we get older and the teacher, etc. Today, I talk with Brock Tropia, a speech-language pathologist by day and a social skills group ninja in the afternoons. We cover how social skills groups work, how to understand and see progress, and the specific types of social skills targeted for an upgrade. Enjoy the conversation. Brock Tropia, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. No problem. You do a whole lot of things, but one of the things that people have told me that you do and that is so exciting is social skills groups. So I wanted to ask you today yes. about those. And for maybe for somebody who isn't familiar with it, what can you just tell us what a social skill group is? What's it look like? Yeah. Um, so what we do or what a social skills ge- uh, group generally looks like, um, it, it's really comprised of four to six peers of uh, similar cognitive, behavioral, um, intellectual qualities. And so, you know, we all, the kids are coming to the group. We work on play therapy. We, you know, as young as three, all the way up to adulthood where we talk about um, how to deal with uh and teasing and how to, um, you know, how to know about uh, romantic relationships and dating and things like that. Um, so we, you know, the goal of the group is to definitely look at the children's or the uh, patient's strengths and their weaknesses and how everybody together, um, you know, can benefit from those strengths and weaknesses. So we may have kids, especially the younger kids who are not asserting themselves, and so they have a lot of hard time maybe joining into a group of kids or um, uh, won't, um, you know, cooperatively play. They do more of the parallel play. But then we have other kids who, you know, are really verbal. And, and so they kind of feed off of each other. So it sounds to me you're describing a, a wide age group. Is that true? Or is there a certain one that's better than another or more? Uh, oh, no. I mean, I th- no, I mean, I think that, you know, obviously earlier intervention, I'm a firm believer in early intervention. Um, I think that the earlier you can get your kids, you know, kids can get started in, you know, working on their deficits, um, the better, uh, the, the more likelihood that they're going to make progress. And we're going to keep that gap closed between, you know, them and their same age peers. I mean, and I think that's the goal. But I mean, I have kids who just start coming to me um, when they're 16 years old, and, you know, maybe they weren't never uh, diagnosed of having a social pragmatic language disorder, um, you know, which is a result of, you know, typically of a student who has, or a child who has been, has a diagnosis of autism. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that definitely um, the, um, the more that people are aware of, you know, what autism looks like, and that is a a wide range Mm -hmm. um, that kids are getting diagnosed a little bit later, um, you know, and because of their functioning level, um, you know, they are, you know, coming to me as late as 15 or 16. But obviously, early intervention is something I, I'm a firm believer in. And the earlier you can get help and the earlier you can get services, you know, the better off the children will um, typically progress. Sure. So maybe just, so my son did social skills classes and groups like what you're talking about when he was like five or six. 
And it was fun to watch, and it would be kind of entertaining sometimes to watch a bunch of kids with autism trying to interact socially. But that's a different right. story. But, and I can only say that because I'm right. a parent to one, right? But like, what's it look like? What's right. a typical, like, if, I, if a child shows up, let's say, I don't know, a seven-year-old child, like, what sort of activities would they do? And what are some of the goals you're trying Perfect. to achieve? And they might not know what those are, right? But as parents, we might want to know. Well, the pets definitely know. I mean, I, I really, you know, especially with the kids that are higher functioning, and you know, I don't want them this would be a big mystery why they're coming here. And I'm very open with the kids. I mean, obviously we don't talk about diagnoses or anything like that. That's the parents' uh, responsibility to talk mm-hmm. to their children about their diagnosis. But I, um, you know, I, especially there's a lot of resistance. The older, the older the kids get, there's a more resistance of them coming because there's, if they're staying, you know, if they've never been here before and they're all of a sudden 13 years old, they're like, why? There's nothing wrong. What am I going there for? Right. It's that lack of perspective. But, um, I, I talk to the kids and like, you know, some kids need math tutoring and other kids need help with, you know, reading. And this is just an area that you need to, you know, we're working on. And I think that if they're aware of the goals, then they're going to generalize the goals you know, oh, they're going to okay. be more cognizant of them. But as far as um, what we what a group looks like is, I break the groups up into three um, parts of the session. I always start with getting feedback from the parents, and I talk to them about you know, uh, what's going on this week? And, you know, some parents will say, Hey, you know, uh, my son is having difficulty, um, you know, uh, being, having expected behavior in the classroom. He's shouting out other parents will say, Oh, he's having a hard time on the playground and parent teachers are telling me he's just wandering. So that's how I always start the session with getting some parent, um, input. And then mm-hmm. what I try to do is then go through my resources in, in, in three minutes and figure out how I can incorporate six kids, <laughs> different goals into one session. And, you know, okay. we, some days, some weeks we do really great with it. And other weeks, you know, we can maybe not hit everybody's goals, but kids are always learning. Right. And so, and then, so what I always do, especially for, you know, the older kids uh, or the kids are, uh, you know, I would say seven, eight and up. And then um, I, call it their social moment of the week. And I talk about something they really did great socially. And I want them to, you know, think about, you know, think about, Hey, I followed, um, I, I called a new friend on the phone or I sat with somebody new or it can be as little as I followed directions the very first time that my mother asked me. Right. And so I am trying to really get them, I look to get them to be proud of what they're doing mm-hmm. and, and celebrate the small successes. And cause I am, a, I worked at a place one time where I just, like, there was, there was too much negative, you know, negative, um, on what the kids were doing. I really, mm-hmm. really am a firm believer to focus on the positive. And so I really like, wow, that's really great. You know, if, you know, you called a new friend, how did that go? And then all the, uh, really a good way for kids to start using their conversational skills. And then when somebody talks about social moment of the week, we, then we practice our conversational skills. We work on nonverbal communication, asking questions, staying on topic. And so the, the kids don't really know, you know, at that point, what we're doing. And then I always let them, everybody has to vote at the end who had the, the social moment of the week and they have to vote for themselves because we're both firm believer in self-esteem. And then we have to vote for somebody else and they have to tell them why. Oh, cool. That's an interesting idea. And then from there, we t- I take what the parents have said um, and try to incorporate that into the session. So we do a lot of role-playing especially for the, you know, the kids and how, you know, mm-hmm. we do a lot of problem solving. I give them scenario-based 
um, you know, with technology today, it's been fantastic because you can always find, you know, things on YouTube that the kids can watch and analyze. Um, Uh I sometimes videotape the kids and then I let them watch themselves back, especially the younger kids when they're working on play skills to look and see, hey, are you playing with your friends? You know, a lot of times they think they're playing just because they're sitting next to them. Or, you know, but they don't realize they're not interacting. So, you know, we do a lot a variety of things um, as far as, you know, um, the, you know, to work on the different skill sets. And, it's, and I always let them do free play, whether it be cooperative play, mm-hmm. board game, you know, things like that. And then, you know, and we, we have a lot of fun. The kids, you know, if they, if they, if they will enjoy, they enjoy coming uh, mm-hmm. for the most part. And I will say that the only time they don't enjoy coming is when they know that they're going to get told, <laughs> I'm going to get told <laughs> something that may not be uh, yeah. in their best light. And they're like, please don't tell Mr. Brock, please don't <laughs> tell. And so, I mean, I, and I rarely, rarely, rarely have ever, I mean, I've never really gotten mad, disappointed, yes, in kids. But I mean, I think it's just, you know, they need to understand that their actions have consequences. So if you're, doing certain things and you know we, we want we want to try to work on them and that's what they're there for sure now you, you know talking to you for about 15 minutes or so so far you're obviously a high energy person Do, does it help to bring a high energy sort of environment to a play session like this or should it be something calmer more slowed down i don't know what, what do you think works best well, I think that, and I always tell this to new therapists starting, especially, you know, when you have the kids who have more of the challenging behaviors. Um, and I always say, hey, you know, if you're scared <laughs> of this kid, they are going to read all over you, uh-huh. right? Because I really firmly, they're going to pick up on your energy. And so I think it depends on the group. I have some groups that high energy does not work and they're looking at you like you have lost your mind and who is this and why are you doing this? And the younger kids, they love it. I mean, it just, I I think it depends on the kids in the group and I don't put kids in a group based on their age. I never have. I put them on their, um, uh, you know, I may have three different groups for eight and nine year olds and there Mm -hmm. may be all, they may be all be working on different things. I mean, some kids may be working on just, following directions and, you know, and doing what's expected and unexpected and saying kind words to your friends, Mm -hmm. you know, using your social filter compared to kids who are, you know, maybe a little bit lower functioning, have some more, um, you know, uh, deficit. So, you know, I really try to match the kids, but as far, I think you have to, you have to read who the kids are, especially when you hit those teenage years. I mean, I think you, there's only so, you know, you can only be so loud and so crazy for so long and they're looking at you like you've lost your mind. So, you know, you definitely, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta know your audience and you gotta know who you're talking to. Right. So if you're looking at you like, and they're like, I am not buying into this, then you need to change your approach. So <laughs> what I do for no situation, especially for the kids who are like older, uh, we do different types of things. So now, now we're watching things like on YouTube and maybe we'll watch like the big bang theory. Right. And oh, okay. so, uh, and then we'll, we'll pick out, you know, different types of who can pick out the sarcasm here. What do you think about what he Sheldon just said? And the kids really like that. I mean, sure. I feel like you got to do what we're interested in, but at the same time, they have to realize that the world does not revolve around them and they need to learn flexibility as well. Well, you know, talking so, about watching the Big Bang Theory, it makes me wonder about metacognition. Like, wh- what age do you find kids with autism start to understand or reflect on their own behaviors and are able to see themselves sort of out of body? You know what I mean? At, at how they're behaving and well, how they're reacting and, I, and how they want to change it. Exactly. I think that um, when we're talking about 
you know, videotaping kids, right? And so it, it's, it's all perspective. Okay. So again, I think I'm playing with kids just because mm-hmm. I'm next to them. You know, they don't realize that they have they should be talking and interacting with them. You know, just because they're playing Legos next to another kid who's playing Legos, you're not really playing next to them. Yes, you're parallel playing, but you're not interactive and cooperatively play. I think it really is going to, you know, I, to be honest with you, it's a case by case, right? I have kids, some kids are so hyper, uh, uh, they're hypersensitive, mm-hmm. right? And it's this big aha moment when they realize when I, you know, and I talk to them about, well, talk to your friends. And they list off 30 kids in their classroom. Uh, and yeah. then I go through and go, well, just because they're in your classroom doesn't make them your friends, right? Like, right, right. then we break down, like, well, what is a friend? Is a friend, you know? And so that's, that's um, you know, I think it, it depends on the kid. But I would say that, you know, we, we can talk to kids. Do you think that's a good choice? Do you think that's a bad choice as young, uh, you know, when they're younger? And they may be able to identify good and bad choices. But I think as they get older, you know, it, that, you know I would say that it, it's a gradual, it's a maturity type of process. So what sort of science does do you... Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And that's, what makes, that's why I was wondering about progress, for example. What kind of signs do you see that are indicating to you, like, ah, whatever I'm doing starting to work, this is great. And how often do you see well, progress? Well, and I think that that's what's interesting about the social skills group, right? Okay. Um, so the goal is is we want them to generalize the skills that they've acquired, so that I that when I first meet the students, I'm determining if they're of acquired if they're acquired deficient or if they're general general um, transfer deficient is what it's called actually. Okay. And so have they acquired their skills, but they're just not utilizing them, or do they really not know what they should be doing in this situation? I always tell parents that learning social skills is like learning math. Um, They need to be taught the steps, right? So it's concrete. um, And so when you are walking into a room, you need to walk up to the person. You need to look at them in your eyes, their eyes. You need to say hello. So that's how we really do, uh, you know, concrete social skills. Real concrete. The problem with that has always been, will always continue to be, is that the world's unpredictable. Yeah, sure. Right. So just because when you are inside, um, how you act in a movie theater and how you act on the playground are two different ways. Right. You have to almost learn how to crack the code or be a social detective and look around and see what everybody else is doing. And then, um, know, you know, try to blend in. And we talk a lot about blending in. It always makes me laugh when a child goes, well, what if everybody is doing the wrong thing? And you want us to blend in. And I always say, well, if you can tell me that they're doing the wrong thing, then you, you shouldn't be doing it. You know, so, you know, we're, we're real big. Look, I and I always tell parents that I don't want to change who your child is. I want to help them be the best they can be. Um, I can't make your child want to go and play with other kids. I can't make him want to go and, and talk with other kids and have 17, 20, 30 friends. Right. It just is, you can't do it. You can't give them that intrinsic motivation. But what I can teach them is to know that I, what my goal of the group is, is if they want to do it, they have the tools and they're told about to do it. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. And it, you know, it, so it, I don't know if I answered the question correctly. You did. I kind of go off on my tangent. You get an A. Okay. I'll, I'll give you a check. <laughs> so it did, it brought to mind some thoughts for me. So I used to do a podcast on autism called Autism Podcasts when my son was first diagnosed about oh gosh, 15 years ago or so. And so 
I would interview people who have autism, you know, usually higher functioning people, so we could have a, that kind of conversation. And some of them, when they were to listen to what you were talking about or the idea of social groups, skills groups, they would get angry and they would say, look, I'm me, so let me be me. And so what do you think about the argument of let a person who has autism be that person and not always have to adapt to the typical population? You know, honestly, and I feel like what has been so fascinating over, you know, since I started my career, um, especially um, since, um, you know, I would say in the last five or six years, I'm getting a lot of adults uh-huh. from the workplace who are being told that you need social skills training from their HR departments. Okay. So I... And so I, so that brings me to is, yes, you can be you, but you still need to know how the world works, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so especially coming back from these adults who are coming to me now to hear them communicate and to hear them and their thoughts and what's in their mind, it's, it's been pretty fascinating because everything I've always wanted to know from a child, I have a, I have a 35-year-old engineer in front of me who's, a, is, who's verbalizing that to me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And so, you know, so when you're, when you say, yes, you've got to be flexible and yes, you need to be you. And if you can have strong opinions, but at the same time, you can't assume that if someone takes a pencil off your desk, that they're bullying you and you're 35 years old working in an engineer department. Right. And it, I guess you work in teams. You got Oh, I was, I was going to say that's the flip side of the of the person saying we just need to have an autism acceptance movement. The opposite is like, I'm not really that happy. I feel depression or whatever. What sort of social skills can I have so that I'll be able to integrate better with the typical population? Exactly. Because that's that's reality. I mean, the reality is the, the majority of the population is going to be what they would call consider neurotypical. Yeah, yeah. And yes, you don't have to have a, a thousand friends, but you still need to know how to use your social filter. You don't want to make people feel bad. You know, and so we talk about what is a filter just because you think someone is fat and ugly. Do you need to tell them that they're fat and ugly? I mean, that's, 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 you know, so there's a difference between being bold, being who you are, um, and whatever you want to, you know, whatever you, whoever you are at the core, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I have, I have a child who, uh, I had a child one time who wanted, you know, he wanted to wear, uh, girls dresses to school. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Your parents are on board. I love it. Great. Be who you want to be. But it's not expected. And don't be surprised yeah. if you get, you know, weird looks. And that's okay. But just know what you're going into. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, you know, I noticed you know, you've used so, the words expected and unexpected. And that, to me, it's something I actually learned in the last year. That's a way to describe behaviors that we might call inappropriate or wrong in the past, right? Yeah, I mean, it, right. What's expected? Expected is what you should be doing in certain situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can be you, a child on you know, a child who has autism or an adult. But you also know what you know. But when you go into a movie theater, you can't stand up, throw popcorn, and scream right. during the movie because right. that's not expected behavior in that situation. So I don't like to say, you know, wrong. I try to put a positive spin on it, and that's directly comes from Michelle Garcia winner. I don't know if you're familiar I do. with her I work. I am. I am. Yeah. And my wife's a special education yeah, teacher. So this is where I've heard a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. And she has this whole curriculum about, you know, social thinking that we use a lot on, mm-hmm. um, and, um, be flexible. Um, and so it, it's, it's been really great. And I think that that's, 
that's one of the uh, one of the things that have been really helpful to the kids because it's concrete. Again, what's expected, what's unexpected. Is that expected behavior when you go into the movie theater, or how? What, what should you do? And so when you're talking about the, you know, I know we it was a couple of questions back, but how do you know they're making goals? Mm-hmm. You know, they're making progress on their goals. You know, we, we I check in with the parents every time, and so I usually send home homework assignments, and so I'll say you need to call. You know, let's try to call two friends this week or somebody new mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever the kid's individual goal is. And so, you know, they bring them back the next week and, you know, we don't we want to celebrate their successes. So maybe they didn't succeed that time. But, um, you know, I mean, we we want to make sure we're setting these kids up for success. So just because I'm telling the kid, you know, it'd be nice to, if you reached out to so and so. Well, we want to make sure that's a positive experience mm-hmm, for them too. Right. So that's why it's, it's it's nice to have the parents here to give you feedback every week compared to what's, what you can get in a school. Now, I am all for school services. I think they are fantastic. And I and it really uh, – sometimes it, um, it bums me out that uh, sometimes – the perception is that sometimes if you're getting it for free or through a school, it may not be good. Well, that's not necessarily true at all. Um, so my 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 thought is the different, but I'll say one of the bigger biggest differences between myself in a private setting doing a um, mm-hmm. social skills group and what you can do in a school. You can a you have constant communication with the parents. I mean, you see the parents every week. Right. You know they're coming in. Where at school, you don't you don't have the luxury. You know, I mean, you have, you know, so I talk to the parents five minutes. Hey, what's going on? And then I always go back and give them feedback at the end. Okay, this is what we worked on. This is what we, this is what's expected of them for this next week. Here's, uh, you know, uh, Roger's individual goal. Here's uh, Justin's individual goal. And so, um, you know, and that's in that. And then when they come back and they start reporting these things, mm-hmm. wow, they're doing this this week. And then they say, hey, would you, would you mind going out and doing a, a classroom observation? And I see a tip, a completely different different child than I saw when I initially uh, did. And, you know, they're more interactive and they're more, uh, you know, they're doing more expected things. And so that's been nice to see. Awesome. Well, Brock, I'd like to turn to you, if you don't mind, a little bit. You, We talked before uh, the show, you work as a speech-language pathologist during the day, and you're running all this stuff after school. So what drives Brock to be doing this? You could be at home watching uh, the TV shows we were talking about. Right, right. I mean, who doesn't love a good reality TV show? There you go. You know, actually, this would make I, a great reality I, show. I mean, really, I and and to be completely honest with you, I've always thought. I mean, especially the adults, how fascinating they are to tell you, mm-hmm. you know, how they see and think, and it's just so it's so incredibly fascinating because things that I've always wanted to know, like I said, they're able to communicate to me, like you see in pictures, and you, you know, you only can relate your experiences uh, when to things that relate to you, you have a hard time relating to the rest of the world. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting to see, but you know, I, I have been so blessed in my life and I, and I truly say this. I remember when I was filling out my grad school applications and writing all these essays, what seems like, uh, you know, 20 years ago now, but I remember w- what I wrote still to this day, my, at the end of the day, I want to be a happy person doing something that I love that I never have to worry. I get up in the morning mm-hmm. and, um, regret my decisions. And I can honestly tell you that I have been so blessed to be a part of children's lives. Um, 
and I really do try to do the, you know, the best that we can do for these kids. And so I am grateful and thankful for everything that has been, uh, you know, that have uh, the blessings that have been bestowed upon me. Um, but I think the biggest joy has been is getting to know these kids. And what was interesting in, in, is today, um, you know, I would start out was just me in a private, in a room um, uh-huh. 10 years ago has oh. grown into myself and having 10 therapists working with me. And now um, I, I have now OT and physical therapy um, in the clinic, in the same clinic where we do speech. And yeah, so well, what, actually, what just started to be let's, me. Let's talk about that a little bit. So you have stepping stones therapy, right? Can you tell me a little bit about that clinic so people who are listening can understand what you're doing? Oh, yes, absolutely. So um, we are a multidisciplinary uh, pediatric therapy clinic in Newport okay. Beach, California, gotcha. and we specialize in um, children uh, with developmental delays. Um, and so we have on-site, we have occupational therapy, we have physical therapy, we have, and we have speech therapy, um, individual speech and language therapy, um, as well as social skills therapy, because it really is considered a pragmatic language group. Okay. And so... Um, and then, you know, and then in addition to that, we also have a learning center here uh, for students who are homeschooled. Um, oh, nice. And so kids show, come here, um, and that's a whole other conversation we can have. Um, but we, uh, kids, come on, um, kids come here Monday through Thursday from 9 to 3, and we facilitate their learning. We have, I have, um, we have teachers on site and they make sure they're meeting their requirements because parents just don't have the time or maybe the background to educate, you know, educate their kid. Um, and so, uh, we provide all the work samples so the parents then can turn them into their homeschool agency. We specialize with the population, which we would consider twice exceptional or the two E child. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh yeah. So, um, well, as a teacher, they, I am. So yeah, the, the child might be completely brilliant on math or one situation, but then have some, I don't know if it's like dyslexia, right, or diffi- or yeah, or some difficult or, behaviors or, or dysgraphia. Yeah. 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 So that's who we cater to. And so that is my newest passion. And we, we opened um, last uh, March because there was a school in the area that, that specialized to twice exceptional kids mm-hmm. and asked me if, um, to help out transition the kids to, um, to their, um, you know, to their home schools. But I, you know, I said, you know, I am uncomfortable having these kids who have been together for two years and they were a relatively new program. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, um, some of these kids were in sixth grade and I'm like, you're going to send them back to their home, to their public school. And in March of their sixth grade year, like, I just can't, we just can't do this. We got to figure something out. So luckily there was only 10 of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I was able, and I said to them, why don't you guys just use my office during the day? Because we don't, there's a lot of rooms open. A lot of kids are coming, come after school just so these kids can stay together through the end of the year. And so that was my goal. And then, um, then they, they, we, um, they convinced us that we should keep it going. So now we're. We do that during the day as well. Brock Tofia, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. No problem. Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. 
I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.